Here we are again with another episode of Cultural Value. I'm your host, Troy Shear with Binary Automotive Solutions and Binary Marketing Solutions. Today, our guest is Dennis Eflin. Dennis is an associate partner and the digital transformation expert with IBM. Dennis is also a contributing expert to dealer marketing, which is actually where I uh, was introduced to Dennis uh, through some of the articles and those are, that he's written. And that's actually what we're going to be diving into today and digging into the um, getting a little of the meat of that for y'all. Uh, you know, as, as I was getting ready, preparing for this podcast episode, I was doing a little research and listening and uh, actually listened to my buddy, uh, Matt Wilson over at uh, Mostly Automotive at his podcast that Dennis was on. And as I was listening to that and getting a little bit more into some of the articles that he's written, I was like, you know, the real theme of all this is things are changing. Things are changing rather rapidly. And, you know, Everything we've seen in the la over the last year, 2020, was a, a you know, it, it drove us to change that was probably coming, but now has really been uh, amplified in terms of how quickly things are, are, are going to be uh, changing. And, you know, talking a bit with Dennis uh, on, on Matt's podcast this morning, they were talking about, well, what's going to happen by 2030? You know, obviously, we can't know for sure. We, you know, we sometimes we do well to guess again when you have things that happen like in 2020. You know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen 12 months from now, but there are definitely some things that we need to look at as auto dealers or as, as uh, Dennis likes to say, auto retailers or retail uh, establishments, so to speak, that we really need to look at what's going on there with the customer and how all of that needs to really be the, the focal point of what we're doing. So, Dennis, thank you very much for joining us here on The Culture of Value. Uh, I hope I... You know that that I was very uh, clear on that and didn't didn't screw up anything with my my intro or description there. But I, I think that uh, you know what I've read from you and like I said, hearing on the podcast that this is definitely something that needs to be uh, addressed and talked about a lot more than it maybe already is. Right, right. Well, thanks, Troy. I'm first of all, I'm glad to be here and uh, glad we certainly hooked up and, and met through dealer marketing and uh, have the opportunity to chat with you. I always love talking to people passionate in the, in the space of auto retail. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the certainty, you know, death taxes, and we don't know what the future of the industry will be in 10 years. Um, you know, we certainly have thoughts and projections. Will it be more electric? Of course. Will it be, um, you know, more of a flexible model of people accessing vehicles beyond just finance or lease? Probably. Um, you know, but we don't know all the end results of what it exactly looks like. And, you know, while the industry has always, I think, been under some change, um, technology and obviously a recent global pandemic have accelerated that. And, and one of the things I do often in, is work outside the auto industry and bring it back in, in that, you know, we all have just had recent 12 months of some experiences in other industries that really set the standard and set a new expectation of us. And mm -hmm. if, we, if we in the retail environment aren't thinking about that, we're going to miss something. But you know, I think the greatest point of all of it is, you know, change is happening. So how do you become an adaptive enterprise, an adaptive business model? Um, you know, that's the real key is what what gives you that muscle to be able to adapt as things continually change? Because there's no end to adapting. It's just how do I become more adaptive? So uh, definitely change coming. So with that, one of the things that you talking about um, as far as that that change you feel like things are going to move from strictly, like you said, vehicle sales and lease 
to something more of vehicle usage, or as you talked about before, mobi- you know, mobility. Right. What, talk about that a little bit and tell us what we need to be looking forward and thinking about. Sure, sure. So, you know, a lot of the world for us as consumers has become on demand and an on demand economy. Um, you know, we can get a car share ride, we can book a flight, we can book an Airbnb, we can download music, movies, streaming media, everything has become on demand um, in our lives, most everything. And, you know, one of the things that is not is the ability to quickly access a personal um, uh, vehicle in the way we format we would want. The type, the, the time, the financial arrangement um, is very mm-hmm. inflex, inflexible. Um, you know, I think leasing started in about 1988 or nine. I was at Cadillac actually crafting some of the first leases. And that's the last form really of major financial access that we created in the industry. Um, some of the OEMs have, you know, played with subscription models and to me, it was just a fancier or different version of a lease, really. Um, but I do believe with having you know, more electric vehicles out there in inventory and more autonomous vehicles out there in inventory, and by in inventory, I mean out in the, the communities. Um, mm-hmm. they, may be, they may be dealer owned or the dealer may own, again, access to them or sort of enabling people to get access to the, a fleet. So I do believe the model of how we access the vehicle is one of the major things that will begin to shift, that it won't just be somebody coming in to personally finance one vehicle over four years, but rather how do I enable access to mobility that is you know, right for me? Might be a different vehicle on the weekend. It might be no car during the week because I'm working from home. Um, and it might be some other you know, multiple cars during a trip. Uh, so mm-hmm. how do I get that access? I think that's where a lot of shift will become more on demand to a mobility platform. Well, and like you said there with having, you know, Hey, I want this for the weekend or I want to, you know, when, when you're not having that total ownership of that vehicle too, I mean, the, the you got to think from a customer standpoint, that's is may very well be an exciting prospect because it's like, now I don't have to spend, you know, $20,000 or 30 or 40 or whatever. You know, right. I can have I can have that really nice, you know, Mercedes or BMW or, you know, whatever I want like that on the weekend when I'm out and about. But yet, like you said, then on during the week, I hey, I may want the pickup truck or something like that because I need to be able to, uh, you know, haul some stuff here or there. Or, you know, you got your honeydew list. So the wife says, hey, I need you to go pick this right. up. OK, right. well, it's nice to be able to have that those options to have varying vehicles based on your need at that time. Right, right. And again, I think, you know, the, the subscription models to date have sort of failed in that it was very much a one for one. What can I be um, accessing under one sort of lease program again, you know, capping miles and, and having some of the constraints of a lease? Um, you know, and I, I'm not saying personal ownership or the idea of a personal vehicle is completely going away either. But in that payment in that subscription, if you will, to that service of having a personal vehicle, what other options do I get? You know, do I get access to, you know, urban autonomous vehicles that'll be flying around town, which I believe there'll be many in 10 years? Do I get, um, you know, an electric vehicle when I want to use it more for a long ride because it's quiet? Um, You know, what are the options? And again, just the flexibility is something the industry will have to move towards. I think that's the key word there that you said is, is options. I think because where we have come as, as customers, consumers, 
we, we are so used to having a variety of options to do what we want to do at any given time. And as you said, on demand that, you know, dealerships are really have to think about, you know, how do we do that? And like, like you said, too, it's not going to be a situation where people aren't going to want to maybe own a vehicle. Maybe I want right. to own one right. and then have, you know, different options for other things. So it, it's really, I, I think where it's going to have to come for, from the dealership perspective is they're really going to have to, think more like a customer and less like a dealer principal or GM. Right. Right. And I think one of the greatest shifts in, in the mindset of a business for, you know, a retailer or a dealer is to move away from just transactional that, you know, I, I'm putting check marks on the board every time I sell a vehicle to no, I'm seeing a customer come in over and over because they're accessing my fleet or they're doing some new services around their mobility need. Um, that is a long time lifetime value win. Um, so there's a mind shift to get away from just transactional and towards more experiential. And so the fact, like you said, with, with that, so it's not a situation where I'm, I'm buying a car maybe once every seven or eight years. So, okay, I don't need to really have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with this customer to the point of, I may be changing things out on a monthly basis. And, and like you said, coming back in and, as we see in a lot of retail where you're buying more because maybe the given price at something at that time has gone down. So it's, it's not that big of shock in terms of the, the amount of money spent. So I can do some things differently and there may be great ways then from a, a profit margin standpoint for that dealer to actually make more money with those models than actually selling the vehicle outright. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think so. Um, and it, my disclaimer always is, you know, and I don't think the retailers are alone in this this fight or this challenge. I mean, the OEMs obviously have to support this in, in a great way at the retail level. Sure. Um, but I think that, you know, the retailers need to start to think of themselves as experience centers and not just, you know, an inventory lot. Um, so I do see customers perhaps more often because of a need they have, whether, and it could be charging a vehicle. It could be, you know, personally accessorizing their own vehicle and buying a pass that gets them their monthly access to uh, other services of, again, urban mobility or autonomous vehicles that for short rides around the city. Um, you know, I remember the day when I called on dealers when they sold cell phones and personal accessories and, and extended, a lot more extended services and, um, I think uh, auto retailers will start to become more like cell phone retailers where, you know, the, the actual physical product is a little less important than all the software and services and personalization around, again, my mobility, which is different than yours. So, the, you know, the retailer will need to sort of be able to adjust and, and fulfill that. So it's really, and something that you, you, you mentioned, it's, it's that experience that, that you're really looking at from a customer standpoint of, as you said, every, every experience is going to be different. So what can I do as, as to, for an individual to make sure that they are being taken care of on an experience level? And, and I, you know, one of the uh, keys in your, one of your articles there was talking about how that customer experience, that is really going to become your, your unique value proposition, your competitive advantage right. that, you know, because again, a car is a car is a car. There's, you know, those things and when they become, they, they are commodities in a sense. So it's like in, in the more that we do things where we are commoditizing them, like you said, like cell phones and various things, the real differentiator becomes my experience with you as a retailer. Right. What are some of the things that we need to be thinking about 
in the auto industry to make sure that we're providing that experience that we want, you know, an, an individualized experience at that. Right, right. So a couple things. I mean, one is, you know, to me, each, each retailer or dealer group, you know, really needs to make the customer experience their North Star, as you said, the value, the unique value prop. And what do we mean mm -hmm. by that is, you know, that all, all processes, all uh, functions of the dealership point to that one differentiating experience. Um, and it's, you know, it's not enough to just say, well, we have a great customer experience because we have the right car for you. And, you know, we, we welcome you when you come in and we have a warm cup of coffee. Um, you know, the, there's dealerships, as we all know, every six, seven miles of the same brand, you know, that are six, seven miles apart. Um, so what would differentiate you? Um, and, and different dealers can have a different experience as their unique relevant value prop because um, it'll draw different people based on needs. Um, but fulfilling a, a certain personalized value prop is important. So what do you need to do that? Um, you know, you need to know the customer as much as you can. So what does that mean? Obviously, having information on them, having data, being able to leverage data into insight, and, and asking some of the right questions, both from an um, information perspective, a data perspective, and a timing perspective. Um, you know, I may not be ready to buy a car today, but I may be ready to buy three next month. Have you asked mm -hmm. the right questions to really know that? Um, you know, so, so getting at, you know, what I call context of where am I in my journey on, you know, buying a car or in the mobility need, am I about to have children? And you need to know that because it's important then to direct me to the right car. Um, is there about to be other shifts in my life? Um, you know, do I have another car that I'm concerned about service, but I want a new car in addition, or should I, you know, switch them? Just getting more information, getting more personalized. And then, you know, the dealership having the processes and the people and the skills and training to deliver on that. Um, you know, one of the things, and I, I obviously work at IBM and we're a technology company. One of the things I never point to is technology is not the answer. It's an enabler. First, let's make sure we get the dealership people process and, and you know, skills and training all aligned to what makes us different. And then we can implement some technology to support it. So it comes down to really, in my mind, some basics of, you know, what do you want to stand for? And then how do we best deliver against that? Well, and it's really true is with, within the auto, really, anytime that you get to a point where you're in business, you're in the people business. Yes, you may have those products and things you're selling, but you're, you're not selling them to technology right, <laughs> you're right. selling them to human beings who who are you know for the most part we're relationally driven so we want to have relationships with the people that we're working with where you feel comfortable that you know hey when i go in to meet with dealer xyz that they're going to know who i am we're going to you know be able to have a conversation and it's not going to be a hard sell they want to ask me the right questions and really help almost as you know i'll take from your mobility it's, it's almost as you're a mobility consultant you know, what right. are the things that, that you're trying to accomplish, Mr. Customer, that I can really now absorb all that and really have a knowledge of all the varying options and then be able to del deliver those things to you in a timely manner? Right, right. We, um, we've created these, um, for some OEMs, these things called smart configurators. We all know the cumbersome process of trying to configure a vehicle online. Um, you know, pick a, pick a body style, pick an engine, pick an option package. And, you know, 
the average consumer doesn't know a lot about that. So we put intelligence on there to ask a question based on some click patterns to say, you know, what are you using the vehicle for? Is it recreational? Is it commuting? What's your commute? How far? And as soon as they answer, we ask the next most logical question. Well, how many people will be in the car? Or, you know, what kind of gas mileage? Or what's most concerning to you in a feature? Um, we've done that with some technology because consumers like to feel a personal connection. And then we mm -hmm. send them in, into many dealerships after they go through that. We send them into many dealerships. And the first question they're asked is, well, what's your budget? <laughs> so we, we've kind of missed the process, as you said, of just people and understanding their needs. And I think that's too, when we look at with the technology side of things too, that, that dealerships get a little bit, uh, and, and just people in general, you start kind of relying on those things and almost where you forget to make sure that, again, it's, it's that experience of asking those right questions because we, we, all, we all know that there's budget involved. I mean, that's with anything that we sure. do in any, in any anything. I mean, you, you know, obviously when you're looking at hundreds or thousands of dollars, there are certain levels that people are going to be able to afford a, a you know, 50 or $60,000 vehicle or there's a 20 and, and you get that, but you can learn those things too, based upon what, you know, asking the right questions without just saying, Hey, what's your budget? And, right. and really being like, I, I actually care more about you and want to make sure you're in the right vehicle and that I can do the things properly um, to save you time. I think that's one of the big things that technology is supposed to do that I question sometime if it actually does is, you know, give us back more of that precious commodity that we have a, a finite amount of, and that's time. Right. That, and, and I think too, on the, the digital side of things that dealerships still look at, you know, digital retailing and all of that is, well, I, you know, I've got uh, forms on my site and you can ask questions and a few things like that. And then the thing they're going to tell you is, well, we want you to come on down here and do a test drive and then we'll go through the whole process again. Right. Which is not digital retailing and is not taking into account that person's time. And I think the more that, and this is, I guess, just from a personal experience, but I'm, I'm, I believe it's, it's more than just me, <laughs> that the more you can do to take time off of a purchase, you know, things like that, that you can save me time that I can go be doing the things I want to do. Right. I, I'll, I'll spend a little more money with you if you're going to treat me right and take care of me and you know, you've condensed a, a six hour process that I've sat through down to a 30 minute or 45 minute process. Well, yeah, I'm coming back here the next time because you've recognized and respected the fact that, you know, I don't have all day to sit here with you. Well, you know, it may be a great time to chat. I've, I've got other things to do. So right. I, I think that's where, again, we, we have to focus on digital as, as that tool, but really start thinking, from a human perspective and from a customer perspective across the board. And, and, you know, how, how would you react, you know, in anything else if, if you were treated, you know, at a fast food or, or even in a restaurant and things like that, where oh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to sit here for four hours and we're going to, you know, re even though you've seen the menu, we're going to make you watch, you know, look at it again for an hour just to make sure you know what you want so that we can go through. And right. it's like anybody else, you would get frustrated with that. So, you know, don't, don't take things that are going to frustrate you in any other um, retail transaction and <laughs> put it into yours. Yeah. Yeah. On well, to your point, and it goes back to the technology is not the solution of, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of dealers have thought that, okay, I'm online, so I'm digital retailing, you know, and all we're doing is sort of putting another step um, and we're trying to patch some bad process with technology. 
we haven't fixed the actual process. Um, and part of that fix of the process is, you know, what does the customer really need? You know, I, it took me two or three cycles, but I finally found a dealer and a salesperson who I buy an F-150 or excuse me, at least an F-150 every uh, two years, like clockwork. Mm-hmm. And I finally found the, the dealer and salesperson who know that and help me, Hey, what do you want different this year? What color? You know, I go in and now it's 20 minutes. <laughs> Um, on that car, on another, on, you know, another car for the family, I, I, I often go in and say, I don't know. And, you know, they let me test drive on a Saturday, a couple different cars, and they know that that's what I need for that day. But, you know, really understanding that and trying to personally deliver, you know, there's not a lot of technology that'll fix that personal understanding. Um, what's that consumer really need right now in their, uh, where they're at in their journey. So in thinking about that and being able to, as a, a dealership and as the sales team within that dealership, what are some of the technologies or some of the things that they can begin to utilize to gather that information so that they have it all together, that they can, you know, ask the right questions and do some of those things and keep it where they have that individualized database on Dennis or Troy. So that when I come in, even, you know, if, or whatever happens, my, my favorite salesperson isn't there that day. How does that next person step up and, and not miss a beat in terms of knowing who I am? And, and again, you know, what, what things that are important to me so that they can keep that process flowing smoothly. Right, right, right. Oh, and again, I think there's a number of stakeholders in this proposition and one of them is the consumer, but um, like any industry, like any experience or even any transaction, I'm willing to give as a consumer some information for a value exchange. Um, mm-hmm. But I need to I need to know that value exchange is there, and I can't often be asked too quick. You know, well, give us your your license number, or give us you know your your name and social because we want to run a credit check. Um, right. Un- again, kind of understand where I'm at in the process and and what you know about me based off lead information you get off your own site or the OEM or third party sites which they send you. Um, you know, do I have a service file with your dealership if I'm a previous customer? You know, do I have any credit or captive information that you can tap into based off uh, previous ownership? Um, you know, what, what do you know about me going in um, to ask the first couple right questions and ask what, I, what I'm looking for? Um, you know, so those are kind of some data and basics. Um, I'm a big believer in, in you know, mobile apps or tablets for, for salespeople to be moving around with the consumer out in the lot or even if they go to their driveway which uh, you know, obviously happened more and more during the pandemic and I think is a growing mm-hmm. expectation, um, you know, that we'll have some, some great questions for the salesperson to ask based on whatever we know. Um, you know, it comes down always to me of every time we learn something, what is the next best action we do with the consumer based off that piece of information? If, once they tell us something, what should we come back with? And, and that from a technology standpoint, data standpoint and training standpoint, I think is a key. Just how do you evolve someone in a experience, not in a transaction? Um, you know, I won't get into, you know, the, the dealership models of, um, you know, rewarding transaction only and, and, you know, salespeople being incentivized on just moving product only. Um, you know, I, I don't blame salespeople. If that's how I, you know, earned a living. Yeah, if that's how you're getting paid. I'm going to do what exactly. you to do. To- that's a, exactly. That's how I act. So, I don't want to spend time maybe perhaps learning about Troy because it's not in my best interest to feed my family. But 
I think, again, the, the dealership having the right values and direction, the right training, the right processes to say, here's how we're going to handle consumers. And if we don't sell a car, but we handle them right, um, that's okay. Um, and in the end, it'll pay off. And, and again, that may be really taking the time with someone on a Saturday, or it may be, you know, with Troy spending 10 minutes on the phone and 60 minutes in the dealership and we're done. We, we need to understand right. that. And, and then for, from, you know, beyond the sales side, obviously, I think one of the places too, that, that really lacks from any kind of relationship or, or that understanding of my time and individual needs is the service side. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like there, there are so many places and ways that, you know, with, with, I mean, it's things as simple as, as, you know, you order a pizza and you can sit there and go, okay, it's being made, it's in the oven. It's, you know, all that, that process, but yet, you know, you bring your car in and, you know, you, it's been there for eight hours and you're like, um, I had an appointment this morning when I dropped this off <laughs> right? and it is now eight hours later, where, where's my car? And then you get the, um, Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> right. You know, we'll have somebody get back with you. Oh, great. So now I get to wait and, and hope somebody calls me back. Right. Right. No, exactly. Uh, what, what kind of, what kind of thoughts or ideas do you have from a, you know, a technological standpoint where we can actually utilize technology a little bit more to again, make that much more, immediate on demand in terms of me being able to gather information and, and know where I stand with right. my spotting the, line, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the pizza example is a great one. I love using it for five bucks, right? I, I full mm -hmm. transparent, full transparency and visibility to every step of a process for a $5 pizza, including when it's coming down my street being delivered. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So part of it for me in the, in the back end is more around you know, there's a lot of technology, um, but a, a lot of it is not integrated. Um, you know, we've done work with dealers who the, the service manager comes in and he's got to sign on six different applications and solutions. And, and those aren't the same as the parts manager and the service advisor likes to talk through text, but the parts manager likes to talk through email and then a consumer bombs in a, a voicemail. Um, so one of it is really just, you know, understanding some process flow of the individuals in that whole value chain of the service advisor, the technician, uh, the parts manager, if needed, you know, the runners um, to understand where they at and how can they use technology and, and whatever channel they prefer still connect in to be able to talk to one another. Um, Cause often a breakdown occurs, obviously the service advisor didn't get an update from the technician. So when you talk to them as a consumer, they don't know. Or the part's mm -hmm. not in stock, but they never really heard that. So again, there's a breakdown. So it's a lot to me in the back end, just about communication integration, the channels, if you will. Um, you know, a lot of uh, places use XTime and some other off, you know, third-party uh, solutions or applications to just make sure they talk to each other, the, the different solutions, because. As a service advisor, I log you in and I go through my, you know, 50 point checklist of everything I should tell you and make sure we're checking for. But then again, the technician and parts manager use other systems and they never link up. Well, they haven't really saved anything or done anything good for the consumer. So often it's unifying communication, unifying the technology platform. And again, often then it's process of, you know, if you ever mapped out a day in the life of a, you know, service advisor, I mean, it's crazy and hectic and 
there are ways to say, okay, you know, we're, we're doing something wrong. You know, he's worried about bringing an app to the, to the meet the consumer, but then he's got to go back and type it in the DMS system and double entry and all of those things take up time and he loses focus. So just really take, you know, understanding and mapping the process. And when you map the process, what are we doing for the consumer? You know, are we wasting time? Are we breaking down that exchange of value? And often you'll find you know, the process and the technology are not matching up to deliver one experience. Well, and I think an issue there, and this is something I see, you know, even, even within the marketing field and some of the things that we, we do is, is like, yeah, you go, oh man, this is a great application that does this. And, but then you start looking and going, well, crap, but it doesn't integrate with this. And now, like you said, now all of a sudden I've got five different uh, applications that I'm like, well, now how do I make it work? Is, is that something, I'll ask the question, I think I know the answer, but is that something as a dealership, as, as the dealer, you really want to understand and maybe ask some of those questions before you start, you know, uh, embracing a certain software, you know, software as a service right. and, and bringing it and go, okay, well, you know, here are the pro and I, I think that's important. It's like you said, that process, what are the various things and really looking at that customer in the day in the life of that service manager how is this all working out and really mapping out all of those, that journey for the, the people in the service department with the customer and how that all in integrates together and making sure that you can ask those questions so that you don't end up spending, you know, thousands of dollars on five or six different um, software packages right. and then none of them work together. Because, you know, again, once you've spent the money, it's not like you're going to go, okay, well, we'll chuck that and try something else. So, I think from a process standpoint that that would be a really good thing for dealerships to do and to, you know, any vendors that are in that space really start asking some of those questions as they're developing things or working with the service department is, you know, what do you really need? Right. You know, I think that happens too is kind of like the, the dealership doesn't ask the customer what they need. The vendor doesn't ask the dealership what they need. And it's kind of like, well, here's what we got. Here you go. Right. Yeah, and you'll often within a dealer, right, right, and within a dealership, you might find service advisors. Four of them have adopted the new technology, and three haven't. But you, you often don't even realize that because you know overall they're doing okay. Um, mm -hmm. But we haven't we haven't really realized. Okay, wait, they're they're working different processes and they're mapping to different experiences. Um, but yeah, in terms of asking the right questions, you know, and one of the things I'm always cautious of is, you know, you'll have a parts manager looking for a solution to make parts extremely profitable and that's fine. But, you know, how does it help the entire service experience? How does it tie in? How can we optimize that, you know, communication channel wise, data wise, information wise, and it can't be uh, well, every 24 hours they'll connect and we under, you know, sync up. Um, you know, there has to be a real time. If I ping the, the parts guide, does he answer? Do I, can he check availability quickly and can he respond and can we get the right answer? So it's, it's understanding about integrating those solutions. It's about, do they support the process I want to deliver? How, how uh, challenging might training be? What's the adoption rate of that tool historically from other dealerships? Because again, you'll find individually at a dealership adoption different. And you know, how can I train my staff up some of them don't like technology. So mm -hmm. if I'm going to buy it, I better make sure that it's an easy to use, easy to plug in and helps the process, not causes double entry or causes you know, time delay. Cause I got to walk through more steps instead of 
you know, dealing with the consumer. I've heard over and over service advisors saying, I, I, I'm still bring a pad because I hate staring at a tablet while a consumer's in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to be talking to them. So I'll go back and I'll double enter something. Well, again, from his notes and, you know, again, something failed. We spent a lot of money for something that's not leveraged. So you got to ask some hard questions with technology for sure, especially on the back end. Yeah. And that's something like you said, I mean, there's, you know, really thinking about how, how do you get people to adopt a technology and, and how does that work? You know, as you're, as you're making those purchases, is that something where as a dealer principal, you want to come in when you start to, you know, thinking about making those investments and really pulling your team together prior to, and not saying, you know, and really getting their feedback and understanding and then getting that buy-in up front versus, and, and this is some things I've seen even with, with, us here that certain people are like, well, I, I do it this way and this is the way I've always done it. And I don't want to, you know, it's, there's, it's too much time to change or figure this out. Well, it's, you know, in, in my mind would be better off that you understand those things up front and be able to address those issues and help them build and, and you know, grow the confidence that they need on those technologies. So I think sometimes it's just a fear of, well, I just don't know how to do it where once okay. you've got it in place and you're doing it every day, you know, it becomes second nature and, and you're like, okay, this is great. And I've seen okay. those things too, where I'm like, I'll, I'll get something, somebody, Hey, I, I need you to work on this on a certain software. And I'm like, well, I've never done this before. And then you're like, oh crap. And, and you're like all nervous, but then you've got your other things that may be just as, as difficult, but because you have the process down and have, have um, been doing it every day, it's kind of the, you know, muscle memory, so to speak of, a, I got okay. this. So, you know, are, are there some things there that a dealer could do with their team to kind of preempt some of the issues? Yeah, again, I think just in basic requirements up front, understanding, you know, what is it you need to accomplish or, or execute? Where do you feel you could be supported more? Not from just technology, but asking those questions up front. Then having the technology vendors reply to that. You know, here's the user requirements and user needs I have. And, you know, a, a lot of technology companies in the retail space are great. And, and you'd want to make sure, do they come in and really understand and watch a day in the life of our uh, process? Because each dealer is a little different. And then can they customize to that? Um, you know, a lot of them are selling out of the box standard things. And, well, you know, again, there's checklists or there's certain forms or there's too many screens. And, you know, as a dealership, can I, or, you know, department manager, can I turn on or off based on how we run things? You know, can the technology company come in and work with us to do that? Um, those are important because <clears throat> you don't want to buy a technology and say, we're going to convert our dealership entirely to how that works, as opposed to we want the technology again to enable support how we want to work. Um, so understanding those requirements up front, finding a technology provider that can meet those or customized to them and then work with the team, you know, training, being, having training available, you get somebody new or somebody who doesn't know the technology. Um, you know, I don't want, you know, the, the guy next, next to him in the aisle training him up. I want him to, you know, do his job. So I want support mm-hmm. avail- available. How do we get him some training? You know, even if it's virtually, how do we get him some training uh, from the company as well? So, but it, it starts with, you know, user requirements. What's, what's the user trying to accomplish and then let's meet the technology to that need and go from there. Well, and I think that's something that I've seen, you know, just for, just from agile, um, the agile system in, in um, right. 
development of software and things like that. Cause that, that's what you're doing is, is what, what are the user stories? What are they, what do they need? And now you develop solutions around it. And there may, like you said, there may be those things, but I think as a, as a good uh, technology vendor, that's something you really need to think about as you are, you know, always being able to make those changes because chances are it's not just one dealership having those issues. So it's generally, you're going to see that we have, there, there are some thematic things with, within any group of, of people that, like you said, you know, four of them here will really love this and three don't. Well, wh what is the reason why and how do I make sure to head that off as we're developing those things? Right. And then, you yeah, know, as yeah. a, I'm sorry, as a, as a dealer or general manager. Yeah. I mean, it's just and it, up, up front before any technology understanding, you know, there's people process and technology, as we said up front, you know, is it, is it really a technology issue or is it all three or is it something I could fix with some training for people? Um, understanding that up front again to then I'm understanding that to match up to here is my North star, my unique prop as a experience. You know, this mm -hmm. is how we want to map things out. Now, what layer process people technology do I need to involve here to support that? And probably all three, but what, what works well together. You know, and I think what, what you, um, we had just talked a second about, about the agility. I think that's where when, when you've got all of those things as a, a dealership and as a service vendor technology or whatever, how, how agile can you be? How quickly can you make that change to make sure? Cause ultimately it all boils down to that, customer coming into the dealership is, you know, as a vendor, you're as you should be as invested in that experience that the customer is going to have as the dealership is, because if you've got that, now you are, are a partner, not a vendor. Right. 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 And if, if you've got that agility and transform transformative kind of mindset, I, I think that's going to help both. So it's, it's almost a situation there. Like you said, it, it's going to require some, you know, insight and things and working with the OEMs, making sure the dealerships are, are thinking about things, but also making sure that vendors, when they come in, aren't just, you know, again, transactionally selling a product that we're telling the, uh, the dealer not to treat the cu his customer that way. Well, I think it's got to be that, that big circle of everything coming together and working ultimately for the good of that customer. And if, if right. we can get that part down, sky's the limit. Right, right. And you, you just said a couple of things that um, I'm a big believer in. So, you know, transformation is not a project. It's not a technology. It's not a, it doesn't have an end state. I mean, transformation is a capability of being agile, of being value driven, of being operationally focused. Um, and that may say things like, you know, to be transformational as a dealership, I need to make sure if somebody is, you know, hung up on a certain job or with a customer, how do I backfill and people flow to make sure the rest of things don't break down? Now, that's not a technology issue itself. That's a, a people and an understanding of we all work to one kind of process as a business model. We all work towards that one experience. Um, and that has to be known and trained up. So, the idea of, you know, I may have roles and responsibilities individually, but I have to really see how they tie into the customer experience and to the dealership goals as a, as a again, kind of a North Star customer experience. You know, mm -hmm. where, where do I support that? How do I support that? And I need to be able to plug and play sometimes and be flexible and be agile through the day. Um, and that's a big part of, you know, I'll, 
I'll take people who can adapt um, often over those who might be smart at one or a couple things because right. they're, a, they're able to, you know, kind of morph depending upon what happens during the day, the month, the years to come um, and grow as we grow because we're going to need to change where we started this. Well, and what I'm hearing you say there kind of reminds me of a, an analogy and I, I, I tend to use football as an analogy for a lot of things because it's something I think team sports and football in particular are a great way to look at things from, you know, how businesses can work together. And, you know, something I've always, you know, I've actually coached kids when they were, you know, seven, eight years old up to 13 and, you know, talk with a lot of other coaches and, you know, have, I'm really, you know, immersed, my son plays football. So one of the things, you know, the coaches always tell them is know your responsibility, know it a hundred percent, but also make sure that you can, you know, know the responsibility of all the other people on the team. So mm -hmm. that if somebody's, missing yeah. up that as a leader you can go hey hey you know we need to make sure that you're in this position or doing this thing so right. if you have that mindset as a person to uh, i'm going to give 110 percent to what i'm doing but i'm also going to make sure that i'm at least well aware of what everything else is going on so i can help guide them if there's a problem or i can step up into that role to help fill in if, if there is you know like you said if somebody gets backlogged or something like that that i it, and by doing that, you just become more valuable, as you said, to your, if you're a salesperson like that, that can step in and help somebody else out in a, a finance issue, or you can help them in service or do something like that, because you know, the business, you're going to be much more valuable. And I, you know, you're going to look great to the, the boss and also look great to the customers. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, I, there's a, I love all the different sports analogies. I mean, exactly. You know, go to where the puck is going, not where it it is now, because we all have to we all have to think ahead. Or you, you coach kids soccer; they all eleven people chase the ball when they realize, hey, if we did our position and understood what's happening, we work better as a team. Um, you know, you mentioned it again earlier about going into a dealership and waiting. I mean, how often do we go in and you know our sales guy and probably one of the better sales guys is backed up. And so we sit and wait for him while two or three others, you know, might check on us once in a while. Like, can I get you a cup of coffee or anything? And as opposed to, you know, maybe there is paperwork we could do, or maybe there's a, you know, our, our trade-in or our lease could be being processed. You know, is there a way to make the operation run smoother so we're not hung up waiting? You know, to your point, wasted time is the worst time. And I think there in that situation, it's kind of like you talked about before is, you know, what, what is the compensation structure for the, you know, right. if it's kind of every man for himself and the more I get, the better I am. And you're trying to do too much. And then you've got two or three people sitting back. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to take it from him because he's going to get upset that I've, you know, pulled his sale away. Right. If, if you have that team approach and it's like, Hey, we, if, if we all win together, man, everybody's going to, you know, and then somebody will, will say, well, you know, so-and-so is not, not really doing anything. Why should he get he or she get rewarded? You know, those things are going to play themselves out. Like I said, just like in a sport, man, if you've got somebody who's weak and they are consistently weak, they will not be there very long because you can see it. That doesn't mean that you don't reward the whole team. You just replace them. Right. You don't right. change, you don't change your process for somebody that's lazy and just doesn't care. You go, Oh, I, I see a problem here. Let's resolve it. Right. Oh, and again, I mean, we said the $5 pizza example, uh, there's about 30% of, you know, lower end restaurants where they share tips among waiters, waitresses. Mm -hmm. um, and they obviously do not make what a good salesperson makes in auto. 
um, nor are they trained up much, but, you know, they share tips. So to your point, the team will level itself out and find the weak link and, you know, they will be replaced or trained right. But um, the team has to work together, um, you know, so that we all win. Um, that's got to be a, a, a mantra of delivering customer experience at a dealership. Yeah, I think completely, like you said, from that perspective, it's like, you know, you don't want to go, well, I'm not going to help that table out because it's not mine, even though they're sitting there with empty glasses or whatever. It's like thinking about how do we focus and give the best service to that customer because happy customer keeps coming back, happy customer yeah. talks to more people. And it just, it's, it's a mindset that you really have to create that I think that even some of that ties back into looking, you know, before you ever hire people, understanding do they have the same mindset and does that dealership have that mindset to make it all work? Because if that if that mindset's not there, you, you can have all the like you know all the technology in the world, and you're still going to fail. Right, right, yeah. And then you know I I think I've mentioned at the beginning a little bit, and you probably read in some of my papers. I mean, again, with all the other industries we deal with, that you know we we have lifted our expectations. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean. And again, we have a saying that the last best experience in any industry becomes the norm of every industry, including autos. So, you know, whatever I did with Amazon or Uber or at a great retail store, um, I expect that. And, you know, so, unfortunately, you know, uh, many dealerships fall a bit flat. There's great ones um, and there's great people. But mm -hmm. I think as, as a business, we need to think about things that we've talked about. How do I become transformative? How do I become customer experience focused? not customer satisfaction, customer experience, um, you know, not filling out the transaction details on the JD power survey with the customer of, you know, did I give you the walk around of the car? Yes. Check. Okay. You know, really creating an experience that is personalized. That is a delight. Um, you know, you said at the very beginning, you know, I mean, if I get a new vehicle and you know, what am I going to do at a party? I'm going to talk about the experience I had. I might talk about the car, but I'm probably going to, and I'll be asked about the experience. Well, where'd you get it? What did you think? Um, oh, they're great. I go to them, you know, so that's what we're looking for. And, you know, real quick, we'll kind of, I, I think we've got, have covered a lot. I'll we'll kind of wrap it up here. One, one thought, and this is just kind of a, I'll, I'll do a little, uh, you know, self-promotion here, but it, it ties into what we're talking about. You know, and that we're, we're a digital dealer coming up. We're, we're actually talking about, you know, looking at uh, Chick-fil-A and what they've done and how they've, you know, all, they've always had a very much a, a customer experience and making sure that it was the best. But the things that they have done during 2020 and on into 2021 in terms of, you know, great food, great experience, they, they make sure, you know, your time is important. They treat you like, you know you're the most important thing when that person is talking to you and getting your order or whatever it is that they're doing, they want to know your name. They make sure that, you know, all of those things are there. And I'm like, they're doing this for a, you know, $6 sandwich and a drink, you know, maybe a $10, right. $12 meal at tops. And, and like you said, well, if, I expect if, if a, a fast food chain can treat me like that for $12, I, I really better feel good when I go to spend right. 20 or 30 or $40,000 with a dealership or when I'm in the service drive and I'm spending hundreds of dollars to get things taken care of, I should have that same, you know, and again, I have that same expectation because like you said, you know, you, you start seeing it's like, well, if, if for these little things, they can be done surely that, you know, when I'm spending and investing right. this much of my time or my money, you can take care of me. Right. And it's, 
you, you, from an experience standpoint, you see every time you drive around Chick-fil-A, you know, it's, it's wrapped around the, you know, the, the lines wrapped around the building six times and it's, and it's moving quickly. So right. that's something that we're really going to be sharing there is talking about that. And, and so it ties into a lot of what we've said here. And I may steal right. a few things. That as <laughs> I've got a couple of months. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to uh, let, let them know Dennis said this. But in, in all seriousness, <laughs> there's some things here that I think that tie in that if if dealerships just look at some of the other success um, industries and, and pull best practices from it that they can learn a lot and really benefit themselves in the long run. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And the common theme of, you know, the, the businesses we've mentioned in Chick-fil-A is, yeah, customer focused, you know, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned Matt Wilson, uh, you know, in his podcast, I mean, he, he says a, a phrase called them centric, um, you know, mm -hmm. how, do, how, how do we make sure we're always thinking about them? Um, not us, not my job, not, you know, what the dealer's doing, but how do we think about them? And if that's the focus, you know, then we can start to put the enablers in place. So um, just focus on that customer experience. And, and when you do, uh, there's, you know, as you, there, there aren't many, many guarantees, as you said, you know, death taxes and, you know, change. Well, I think there is a guarantee that, that when you, focus on them, on your customers and making sure that everything you do is based on them, that revenue will come too, because you can see the places that are doing it, how they grow and what, what they're, how they're exploding. And from a growth perspective, it's, you know, right. We're, we're not, re, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Right. No pun well, I mean, <laughs> exactly. Well, and you know, again, to bring it full circle, um, you know, what we, um, you know, what we sell in 10 years from now, or how we sell it may be different, but the who we need there is not going to be different. We know that one. Exactly correct. Well, I, let, let's end it right there. We, we can't, we can't go any further than that. That was, that was a perfect ending that we want to make sure everybody hears. So I'm going to shut up. I'm going to say, thank you, Dennis. Oh, thank you, Troy. <laughs> for, for being a guest here. I, I, I really enjoyed this and um, look forward to uh, hopefully meeting in person at some point. Yes, and definitely, definitely. As you know, from a relationship, I definitely want to keep up here because I love learning. Absolutely, so, appreciate it, Troy, and love staying connected. Good luck. All right, thanks, Dennis. You all take care. Thank you again for sure. watching this uh, episode of Culture of Value, and we will uh, see you again soon.